We met here for the purpose of worship. And certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So I know we all want to pray for the President of the United States for a quick recovery and and uh, so he can get back to work again, making America great again. So uh, keep him in your prayers. Keep, uh, of course, all of our citizens in your prayers. We have a need for a spiritual revival in our country. So that might be another item of prayer. But you pray in any way you want to pray. And I'll pray in any way I want to pray. And we are so thankful that our prayers will get to the Father in perfect condition. In other words, we know from the Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, tell us that the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit change our prayers to a perfect prayer. And that's what the Father receives. So uh, keep that in mind. We can... Call out what we want to call out, and we know it's like putting your bank deposit in that thing that sucks it up and sends it to the lady there, and she puts it in your account, Kenna, and uh, <laughs> and it's a it's a it's kind of like that, kind of like that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to have a moment of silent prayer. Time is going to play something for us, and we'll uh, uh, I'll then close. Let us pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, uh, announcements. We are going to have 6.30 on Wednesday, our prayer meeting. It will be followed by uh, our Bible study at 7 o'clock in the book of John as we are continuing to to study the 14th chapter of John. So feel free to come if you so choose. Again, Wednesday at 6.30 or Bible study at 7. Alright, now let's go to another aspect of worship. And that aspect would be uh, giving. We do have on the board our chart, which uh, tells us about, about giving in terms of the New Testament. We don't tithe in this church, nor do we sacrificially give, nor do we bribe God, nor do we, you know, give in order to subscribe to a budget but rather we give because the New Testament tells us how to do that. There are two basic chapters that cover New Testament giving extensively, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we have a great deal of information about New Testament giving, and I think I have put two verses on the board as I have from time to time done like every day, uh, excuse me, every Sunday at 11 o'clock, but uh, first of all, we can learn from 2 Corinthians 8, 12, 
that if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. So uh, that gives us indication that if you want to give, you can give in the privacy of your mind. And to facilitate that, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. And you think about giving, and if you want to give, you can give without having anything to give. Now, in the event you do have something to give, however, we have another admonition, and that is 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according as he purposed in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because why? God loves a cheerful giver. So in the event you have something to give, well, we have a plate here and a plate on the, on, I'm pointing out to plate here on the front row. And where we have uh, two plates actually, and one at the back where you can find the plates at the end of the service. Uh, and uh, the point here is that don't give if you cannot do it uh, hilariously or cheerfully or without attachment. And if you have attachments or you can't, you know, give it cheerfully, don't give it. Because that's what the scripture says. And we believe here in this church in following this scripture. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And you think about giving. And uh, I will <clears throat> close by asking God's blessing upon the gift and the giver. And I will also ask God's blessing upon our service. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and uh, tell you what we want. And we're also so grateful that you have provided a grace apparatus for us that the Holy Spirit changes what we pray about and makes it perfect and then sends it to you. So thank you so much for that uh, wonderful grace that uh, we're all in need of from time to time. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver, and that you would continue to guide and direct us as we will continue to worship, hopefully in a manner pleasing in your sight. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for music today, we're still under the authorities who say we should not have congregational singing. We look forward to the day when we can and we can all sing together. So we're going to use, uh, again, uh, as uh, someone once said, our record player, uh, which is not a record player, but it is a CD over there. And Ken's going to punch the button and turn it up where we can be sure and get it on the Internet. But uh, we just have to, it's like potpourri. We're going to hear whatever's on there. I'm through announcing and having it something else. But uh, uh, it's uh, Emily, I know that. Emily's not in the box, but she's got a CD in there. So uh, Ken, punch that button and we'll see what we get.
Thank you, Emily. <clears throat> Thank you, Kenneth. And his grace is indeed amazing. All right, last week I began an analysis of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And before we continue that study, I want to give you opportunity to use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege again of <clears throat> coming together to study your word, recognizing that your word will indeed not return unto you void, but shall accomplish that which you please, and shall prosper in the thing whereunto you have sent it. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for a written and or audio copy of this lesson, you can go to westbankbiblechurch.com and click on streaming audio of services and you can find both of those, the written lesson and the audio lesson. And we do have a podcast now where the uh, message will go on uh, the pod and uh, you can, if you have the app, you can simply hit the podcast app and it'll show the West Bank Bible Church messages and uh, either one you're welcome to look at we do have a on the board uh, our statistics in terms of how many people uh, listened on the internet and it was down a couple of thousand in terms of hits this month I think we had 16 well rounded 17,000 hits and of course we don't know why it's, it's could be that we some people who listen on the podcast now as, as opposed to the uh, internet, but it's out there, and we're going to continue to put it out there as long as the Lord is willing. All right, I want to review some of that learned last week, and then begin new material at point two point five on page two, where we were studying a few Old Testament examples of false teachers. Let's first look at 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4, and 5 in the New International Version. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Make full proof of thy ministry. And you know we have a book called Second Timothy, which is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Paul is in prison in Rome, and this is his second imprisonment. And, of course, Timothy is in Ephesus, where he is doing the work that Paul was formerly doing. So we have some admonishments from the great apostle to Timothy and uh I think the best way to study these three verses is to uh, look at the doctrine of false communicators, which we began last week, and uh, we'll do some review and then pick up with new material, as noted, on page two. All right, that's page two of our lesson plan. Here we go, review. The Apostle Paul speaks of Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander as men who had done most serious injury to the church. All right, the, we looked at uh, 
again, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And uh, we saw that there was a denial of the resurrection. So we covered briefly a summary of the doctrine of the resurrection. The complete doctrine is on the internet under Pastor Merritt's study books. And then Alexander, we're not real sure what his problem was other than the fact when Paul was tried, he uh, did not come to his support at all and in fact said some things which were uh, not helpful to Paul in any way. So uh, we covered those three individuals. Uh, and then we went to some Old Testament examples and we're going to resume those examples again on page 2. Uh, but uh, Satan was one of them we did cover. Satan convinced one-third of the angels to follow him in his rebellion and terrible act of pride. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 13, and Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. And of course, in the book of Genesis, we have an account of his uh, speaking to Eve and giving her significant false teaching. Because he was a deaf communicator, uh, he possessed the snake, and because he was very powerful, he could turn that snake uh, in, into uh, his uh, helper, if you will. He was a beautiful animal at one time, and after the fall, he became the creature that uh, slithers around in the dirt and the dust. But uh, originally created as a thing of beauty. But later cursed to its present state because of the seduction of Eve. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Satan also was a player in the slaying of Abel. Genesis 4, 2 through 8. And then there were false communicators who no doubt tried to dissuade Noah in the building of the ark. And John Gray Barnhouse has written a book entitled Genesis. And I'm going to quote again from it. We must realize it had never rained upon the earth. Rain was one of the things not seen as yet. What a fool Noah must have seemed to those who lived around him when he warned of a change in nature. That was one of the greatest, that change in geological history. All right, there were false communicators who rose up against Moses. Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 through 6, and Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 40. All right, now let's uh, have a summary of Numbers 16, 1 through 40 that indicates there was a guy by the name of Korah. It's spelled K-O-R-A-H in the Old Testament and C-O-R-E in the New Testament. But he's a Levite. Uh, just like Moses was a Levite, and Aaron was a Levite, the, again, the, the uh, sons of Levi, and uh, they rebelled against Moses. They, along with 249 co-conspirators, and were punished for their rebellion when God sent fire from heaven to consume them. Now, Korah's Reubenite, now there's Reuben, was, he was a... Uh, a uh, tall center fielder in my scheme of memorizing sons of Jacob. But he was another son. We have Korah, a Levite, of course, as was, of course, Moses, as was Aaron. But this is a, another member of God's family, Reuben. And he had a couple of accomplices, Dathan and Abiram. They were punished when God caused the ground to split open beneath their feet, swallowing them, their families, and anyone associated with Korah and all their possessions. So it's important to note, of course, the problem, and we went over it a little bit, was that uh, they thought they were as good, uh, particularly uh, Korah and his cohorts, because they were Levites and they were basically saying to Moses and to Aaron, what's Aaron the high priest for? We're Levites. We're as good as he is. So what are you, you know, walking around like a rooster, uh, acting like you're something? And of course, God took care of the situation. Uh, 
and called them all together, including those who were supporting him from the tribe of Reuben, which were particularly in the family of Dathan or Abiram or Dathan, as it might be pronounced in the Hebrew. But uh, uh, these were the Israelites who did not like what had happened again, uh, Dathan and Abiram. They didn't like what happened to Korah because God is going to punish and he did punish Korah for their rebellion. In other words, God had his authority. And he wanted people to submit to the authority, just like the same today. We have a doctrine of authority. Feel free to go to Pastor Mary's study books and look up the doctrine of authority. And you will find it. It's covered, hopefully, extensively. Uh, but Moses and his family were told by God to get away from the multitude. That means the crowd. Because God was about to do something. So God then smote, if you will, 14,700 men with the deadly plague. And the plague was punished not for the objecting to Korah's destruction. That is to say on Dathan and Abiram. Now let's uh, look with a little more specifics, if you will, at the doctrine of Korah. And we'll see uh, what he did and what God did. Alright, it's at the time of Korah's engulfment. And of course, we talked about that a little bit last week. God opened up the earth and uh, let it swallow Korah and his followers. And of course, then also fire was brought down from heaven. So uh, there was quite a show, if you will. And uh, we'll know, look at more uh, of the details. So the earth became a funnel and everything that belonged to Korah, even linen that was at the launderers and needles used in the production of tents and even various items borrowed by persons living near and far. All these items began rolling toward the chasm. Everything rolled until it fell into the chasm. Now, I would have liked to have seen that. In fact, I'm going to ask when I get to heaven... If I can go to the library and pull the uh, the uh, DVD and take a look at this event, I can just see the earth opening up and things that they had borrowed, things that were at their launders, their clothes, and things that they used to work the tents. It all began to roll, 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 down into this great giant chasm. And of course later it would all be burned up. But quite an event, no doubt, in terms of histological event. All right, now according to the rabbis, this we go into the Talmud now, Korah himself underwent the double punishment of being burned and buried alive. All right, number 16.2, now Korah and his men rose up against Moses with certain of the children of Israel 250 princes of the assembly famous in the congregation. They were men of renown. I'm going to continue to read now, number 16, 3, reading through verse 11. And they gathered themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, saying all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spake unto Korah, unto all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take your censers, or take you censers, and someone asked once the question, what's a censer? Well, you have to think about in the, in the holy of, uh, holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place, there was a, a censer, which you put incense in, and you set it on fire, and it was a sweet smell, and then once, once a, a year, it would be carried into the holy of holies. So they were to bring their censer, little, let's just call it a bowl, for lack of a better term, 
and they were to take them, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth chose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that God of Israel, the God of Israel, has separated you from the congregation of Israel? In other words, they had jobs to do. All of the Levites had a job. They were sagers. They were those who were were well built. They were strong that they could grab the animals and lift them up, even if it was a, a big bull, and put him on the the altar and so forth. So they all had jobs to do. They were Levites, and they were supposed to be serving. All right, to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. In other words, the high priesthood. The Aaron was the high priest. All right, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron? That ye mutter against him. Alright, uh, so you see Korah, and we've studied that before, so I'm not getting into any more detail, except uh, you don't mess with the Lord. Uh, when he says do something, you should do it. Otherwise, you're going to end up being Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Alright, Aaron could not handle the Exodus generation, another false teacher. Uh, that because Moses, you remember, went up the mountain to speak with God and he, he took a little longer than the people thought he ought to take, you know, start questioning their authority, uh, which people do from time to time. That's why they get Hebrews 12, 6 from time to time and also a reward if that's what they need. Always keep that in mind. Whatever happens to you is perfect. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Therefore, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And it may be that you need a promotion. It may need that you need a little increase in your bank account. It may mean that you need to be whooped up on. But God knows your frame. He knows your genetic makeup. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. And that's why we can say, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. All right, let's look then. Aaron could not handle the Exodus generation in Moses' absence. They got a little antsy, and he became a false communicator by default. In other words, uh, he had the responsibility as a high priest to toe the line, to do what was right, just like pastor teachers are supposed to toe the line and do what is right. Just like individuals in the church are to toe the line and do what is right. Alright, now let's look at Exodus 32, beginning in verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods, little g, gods who will go before us. And for this fellow, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, Oh gosh, take off the golden earrings which your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took them when he was handed the the gold and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Oh my. False teaching, false gods, false acceptance of the false teachers and the false gods. And then you'll remember what happened to them. They, of course, were disciplined when Moses came down. He made them take those things off and melt that gold and drink the gold, which, by the way, is poison. So uh, they, uh, they got their just due for their failure to submit to authority. All right, in Numbers chapters 22 and actually through 25, we find the terrible example of Balaam, and we've studied him. So evil was this man that he became the New Testament example for all false teachers, especially those with improper motivations. 
Notice Jude 11, 12. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And you'll remember Balaam and Balak and the, the story about how uh, this, this false teacher, Balaam, decided that uh, he would uh, go and seek a, a, a curse on Israel. And God said no, and that went on and went on and went on. Then finally he had an idea. He thought, well, goodness gracious, if I can uh, some way, somehow get all the men of Judah to go down with the the gals, the girls of of Midian, and have sex with them, and and uh, marry some of them, and they're not supposed to be marrying uh, Gentiles, and certainly not supposed to have uh, sex with these ladies. He thought that, uh, and he did that. I don't know how he did that, but he did that, and the men did that. And you'll remember the story about how, uh, of course, God was supposed to curse Israel because they were doing wrong. But he didn't know about grace. He didn't know that grace is all that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way, again, compromising his integrity. He didn't know that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He just didn't know about grace. And as a result... God didn't curse Israel. And said he cursed Balaam and, uh, and the Midianites and uh, took care of them. They were all defeated in battle, including the prophet himself. But the New Testament continues, even in the book of the Revelation, uh, talking about this poor guy. All right? And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, that church also is not just Pergamos, a church which needed help, a local church in the city of Pergamos. It also represents a period of time that the church is going to go through. We're going to see more of that in a minute. Uh, you can find that, by the way, in the Doctrine of Revelation, which is on the Internet in great detail. But the time period is 300 A.D. to 800 A.D. And uh, I'll read from 12 and then dropping down to verse 14 so you get an idea that he's still a, a big example in the New Testament of a bad boy. So unto the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the harp sword, excuse me, sharp sword with two edges. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. All right, I want to give you, a, 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 it's, it's a chart of sorts that's in your lesson plan where we're going to look at uh, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And each of these churches represent a church. Like, for example, the first one is Ephesus. And Ephesus was a church, and Ephesus uh, had its problems. But also, Ephesus certainly represents a time period that the universal church would go through. And uh, we will look at each one of those seven churches of Asia Minor. All right, we're going to look at the time period that it covers. We're going to look at what the name means. And we're going to look at the scripture report about what will happen to the church itself and particularly the church as it existed, not only as a local church, but also as a uh, uh, as a, uh, indivi- a series of days in a time period. All right, here we go. All right, first the time period of the first church, which is Ephesus, 32 to 100 A.D. And you can imagine 32, of course, was uh, roughly when Christ was crucified, But that's early in the church. Early in the time period of the church. And the word itself means desired. It has a good report. 
Those folks were the start of the church in the church age. The folks that uh, represented by Ephesus in a time period, 32 to 100 A.D. So they get a fair report. The name, of course, means they were desirable. Uh, and they, uh, what did they do? Well, they conducted trials of the various apostles to find out which ones were apostles and which ones were not. Uh, and then they developed the church organization with pastor teachers appointed here, pastor teachers appointed there. And then they evangelized. Uh, so they were, and, and then we've got the scripture that covers in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And if you really want to learn more about these churches and the time period, you can look at uh, Dwight L. Pentecost's book, his doctoral dissertation, which is about that thick. Uh, and uh, it's an excellent book. It's entitled Things to Come, where he covers these churches. And he has a chart uh, that uh, I have borrowed from, of course. Uh, but uh, let's go on. With another church, the next church is Smyrna. And it covers a time period from 100 to 300, and the name means myrrh, sweet-smelling myrrh. They have a good report, 100 to 300. The church is persecuted during that time, and their true enemy is revealed, the Jews. All right, Constantine, at the end of that period, ascends to the throne and moves the church, of course, eventually to the... Uh, uh, the church of the west has moved to east and becomes a, 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 a another body which of course you've got there now uh, the uh, folks are of the Greek Orthodox faith as opposed to the Roman Catholic you have a Roman Catholic church and you have a Greek Orthodox church and Constantine took over as the first pope and also he was the Pontifus Maximus and that's covered in Revelation chapter 2, 8 through 11. And then we have Pergamos, which we just looked at, 300 to 800, and it means thoroughly married to the world. A bad report as the church married the world and papal domination began. And then the period of time is Revelation 2, 12 through 17. And then we have the church Thyatira. And they covered also the time period the church would go through, 800 to 1517. 1517 is generally considered to be the time when the Reformation began. And it means continual sacrifices. They too only got a fair report as seeds of the Reformation were sowed by the worship of Mary as it developed. The worship of Mary. And there were many empty confessions of faith with the rise of state religion. Remember that we had quite a state religion in certain cities, certain states, certain countries even. One of the more famous was, of course, the evangelism that went on in the, uh, in the uh, area of Spain. And uh, there they actually took people and took them down to the river, particularly Jews. They kicked out 70,000 Jews. They did not like Jews. And they would dip the willow trees in the water and would baptize them into the faith by uh, baptism. So the period of time, of course, is 800 to fifteen seventeen. The scripture is Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Now here comes one that ought to interest us the most. From the time of the Reformation, 1517, until the rapture of the church. And that would be us. And the name of that church is Sardis, meaning escaping brothers, who will escape, of course, when the rapture occurs. Uh, that is a time when the Reformation becomes very, very important. They get a fair report. I should say we get a fair report. It says there will be many false teachers who will prosper just before the rapture and during the time of the church, which we're studying now, by the way, Various false teachers that do appear, and we'll see more of that later on. Uh, John reported that they were, John who wrote the book of the Revelation, uh, John reported they were once alive but now dead. The scripture, Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Then we have an unusual Philadelphia because it represents a, the rapture 
the generation that's alive at the time of the rapture, and we certainly hope that is us at the moment of the rapture. And it means loving brothers, Philadelphia. They get a good report. They are kept from the time of trial of the earth. That would be the trial, tribulation period. Revelation 3, 7 through 13. Then we have the seven years of the tribulation, which is Laodicea. means people ruling. They have a bad report as the false teachings of the tribulation abound. Religion prospers. In Revelation three fourteen through 19. Religion, of course, under the Roman rule and the false Christ and the false prophet. Alright, so you can see more of that if you so choose. Begin by taking a look at uh, uh, that famous book. Plus, uh, you can look at the book of the Revelation as I uh, provided for it for you. It's on the, again, Pastor Marriage study books. Uh, and it's actually, I think, on the home page you can see the revelation you click on revelation and uh, you'll have all of the chapters that I studied and I forget how many pages it is but I taught it here in this church over in the fellowship hall on a Wednesday several Wednesdays many many Wednesdays alright now let's go to point six in our lesson plan Isaiah who ministered to Judah during the 8th century BC was opposed by false communicators, predominantly of what they called the Egyptian party. They wanted to use the Egyptians for their military might and their protection because they had been told, of course, by Isaiah that, uh, again, the you've been rebellious and you're going to get disciplined. Let me read you Isaiah 30, verses 1, 2, and 3. Woe to the rebellious children saith the Lord, that take counsel not of me their authority, and they cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confession. And of course he was writing uh, somewhere in the 600 period of time. uh, In the shadow of Egypt your confusion, excuse me. So they are indeed uh, 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 relying upon false prophets. People who said something that Isaiah said otherwise in fact. Because uh, God had talked to Isaiah and told him what to say, and He told him one of these days you're going to get, uh, you're going to disperse, you're going to be sent to the east, and you're going to work under first the Babylonians and then later the Persians, who will defeat the Babylonians. All right, and then there was another prophet, Jeremiah, uh, was resisted by many false teachers during the seventh century ministry to Judah. And again, uh, Jeremiah was telling them that the Babylonians are going to come. You want to let them in the gate? You want to praise their name? And uh, everybody said, oh, no, 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 we can handle that. We can even get help out of Egypt, you know. Which, And of course, in 606, they came for the first time. Then 597, they came in the second time. And then, of course... uh, the big boy, 586, when they destroyed David's temple, they took everyone uh, prisoner and carried them off to Babylon where they stayed 70 years, just as Jeremiah said would happen. All right, and it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words. Then spake Azariah, the son of Hashiah, and Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and all the proud men, saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. And of course, these were all false teachers. And we have many of them today. You can turn to the internet and you can find just about anything you want in the way of false teaching. 
as opposed to the authorities that have been given you. In other words, we have pastor teachers to teach you. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't an accident that God provided many pastor teachers at various places, and we all have one, and that's why we're to come, sit down, shut up, and listen. And that is, of course, what the Bible teaches. And we have authorities in our land that we're supposed to accept. And again, Romans uh, makes a big point of that, that they don't use their sword in vain. And this includes, includes peace officers, jailers, and judges, etc. All right, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us for to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans, that they may they might put us to death and carry us away captives unto Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces, and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. So we have another authority, another authority who was rejected. Uh, and uh, now we're going to look at a, a third, if you will, though we've looked at more than three, but I'm talking about in the Old Testament. Well, we have Malachi, or Malachi. Uh, we don't know if it's Malachi or Malachi, because the word Malach means a messenger. It means angel. And the little e on the suffix means my. So it could be my messenger, or it could be my angel, which angel is also messenger. Or it could be a man's name. And there is controversy about that. And there are no answers. But I'm sure we have people who can tell you, you know, uh, this is what it means. But uh, we really don't know. It's either Malachi or Malachi. And again, what difference does that make? He is indeed a man who wrote the book of Malachi, which was written in approximately 440. So Malachi was opposed primarily by the priests of the land. They were rebuked for falsely communicating God's word. And as a result, they get punished. Alright, Malachi 2, 1, reading through verse 8. And now the admonition is for you, O priests. These were Levite priests, of course. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your hearts to honor any name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send you my name, excuse me, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And that, of course, would be the manure that uh, you'd have when you have thousands of animals brought to the to be sacrificed. And you have to cage them up and you... It's a mess, so to speak. All right, and you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue. Says the Lord Almighty, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood all in my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned away from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction. Because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way and by your teachings have caused many to stumble. And you have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So he does not care for what the Malachites were, uh, were doing. And you'll recall, it's, that's the last book of the Bible. And the last two verses of Malachi uh, give a message to Israel that if you don't accept the Messiah when he comes, and I'm going to give you Elijah in advance of the Messiah, and he's going to come, and then the Messiah is going to come. And if you don't accept it, there will be a time of trial on planet Earth, and you're going to suffer. And that's a reference to the seven-year tribulation. And those are the last two verses, of course, in the book of Malachi, written in about 440 or so, and the last book of the Old Testament. Then we have the interim period, of course, until uh, we have the Christ's birth. And during that time period, we have some history from Josephus, and we have some history, uh, again, uh, from the, the, uh, the Jews in their history books. Uh, But uh, that's neither here nor there. I'll move on to one more. 
Nehemiah was faced with numerous adversaries as he led the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Several of these men made false accusations against the Jewish effort to rebuild the city plazas, walls, and moats outside the wall. You know, they were told that they could go back to the land just as Jeremiah had prophesied, that the dispersion was only going to last 70 years. So uh, again, they uh, they went back to the land. And then you had a lot of people who lived all around them. These were Jews who were not exiled to Babylon uh, and later Persia, because Persia defeated Babylon, you'll recall. So they wanted a letter to be written, and I'll read about that. And Ezra, who was one of the returning, he was a, uh, a priest, and he returned to the land to rebuild the city, which again would be the last uh, time that they were, uh, and the only time they were told to rebuild the city. All right, Rahum the chancellor and Shimshai, the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king in this sort. Uh, in the uh, Artaxerxes now is just a word for a king. You had the names in history, Artaxerxes, but it actually just means the one who is the king. And they were returned the last time, you remember, from Cyrus. First the Dyrus and the Medes that conquered the Babylonians and as an agent of uh, the Persians. And... Uh, he then authorized them and sent them back to the land. All right, this is a copy of the letter they sent unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king, thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Well, that much tells you one thing. They're writing to say, you know, you don't want these Jews back in that that place. Uh-uh. You don't want them back in the land. You don't want them in Jerusalem because they are some bad people. So I want to know, did you really tell them that they could come back? It says, be it known now unto the king that if this city is builded and the wall set up again, then they will not pay toll. Uh-uh. They won't do that. They won't pay tribute. And they won't pay custom, and so thou shalt be without their revenue. All right, now, because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king, that search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers, so shalt thou find in the book of the records, and know that this city is a rebellious city, and hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was this city destroyed. So again, they wrote the letter, and they wanted him to search the records, and did somebody really tell them that they could come back to the land? Of course, the answer was given, yes, they sure did get authorization to return to the land. All right, now there were numerous false communicators actively resisting our Lord during the kingdom age. What is the kingdom age? Well, I'm going to just put this chart on the board and uh, it will be uh, on the internet so that all of our folks who are studying on the internet can see it. You've all seen that chart, I know. Probably memorize it. Now those who are worshiping with us on the podcast are not able to see the charts because they don't have the written lesson. They just have the, the audio lesson. But uh, I would recommend you go to the internet and look at the charts. We have some wonderful charts. And uh, many of them borrowed from Colonel RBT, many of them from from uh, people like uh, Chuck Messler and others. And uh, we, we borrow from a lot of people. Because uh, we all have God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit, you confess your sins to God and you're looking at somebody like a Chuck Messler or Dwight L. Pentecost or R.B. Thing. God the Holy Spirit will lead you and teach you what is truth and what is false. But you got to be naming your sin back to God. And uh, we all have our authorities. And, uh, of course, pastor teachers have been established now since... Uh, we have, of course, uh, various whip gifts, which are gone, but that's neither here nor there. We are going to cover that 
before long. But now let's look at point 10. There were numerous false communicators actively resisting our Lord during the kingdom age. And look on there for the kingdom age. You can see it uh, on the chart. And uh, uh, it's... Uh, I'm looking for my laser light. We're not going to have a laser show tonight, I mean today, because it's in the fellowship hall where I've been using it at the Wednesday night service. Because we have a big chart in there that shows uh, many things on the board. Alright, so there were numerous false teachers resisting our Lord during the kingdom age. That's the time when Christ was on the earth, called also the age of the hypostatic union. Alright, they were primarily the religious hierarchy consisting of the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Notice Matthew 15, 1, 2, and 3. Then they came, then came to Jesus again, the Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, uh, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress? Jesus said, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? All right, we're going to stop right there. Uh, and I would remind you that uh, we are here uh, for a purpose. And that purpose is to teach the Word of God so that we can grow in your grace. And again, you showed up and you want metabolize doctrine. So you come in, you sit down, you name your sin back to God, and then the Holy Spirit will teach you. I present and the Holy Spirit teaches you. And He'll teach you uh, things that you need to know. Uh, and that Colonel Thing coined that wonderful phrase, metabolize doctrine, and I've explained that before. It's just simply another way of saying that when you sit down and you come to be fed and I, I serve you hopefully a, uh, a large meal uh, and you then will be taught by God the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's, uh, let's have our customary invitation because there may be someone who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are without faith, without hope, and without eternal life, you can use the short time that I'm going to provide to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son. And... Uh, as a result of your faith alone in Christ alone, we are what we call saved. Saved from eternal separation from God. Saved from a terrible time in the in in hell. Uh, fire that never goes out. So I don't want you to go there, and you don't want to go there once you uh, find the description of uh, the, and of people and their gnashing of teeth because they are in pain. Uh, that's... Uh, can be avoided. And that's why the gospel is called good news. Euangelion in the Greek. And it is good news. Because you can uh, regain your fellowship in time and you can gain fellowship with God in eternity. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Jesus came unto his own, Israel, but his own refused him. But as many, says the Scripture, as again received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So I would ask again, as I pause for just a moment, that you take the time to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, by telling God the Father, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. And now for our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of coming together to worship. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace.
and become more like our Lord and our Savior, even Jesus the Christ. In His name I pray. Amen. Thank you.